right. Thank you, J.E. After listening to you read through our text this morning, it seems pretty simple and pretty obvious, doesn't it? Yeah. Come on, snake charmers and dull axe heads and sagging roofs and angry rulers and it seems almost self-explanatory for us this morning. It's a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you today and it's a great joy to be able to study through this and and mine for the truth of God's Word. and We're getting near the end, and understand that chapter 10 opens with a warning for us to stay away from folly, which is the opposite of wisdom. And then here, in our text this morning, uh, the, the preacher transitions from giving us a warning Uh, to applying that warning to several different types of fools. And so we're going to walk through those different types of fools this morning. He begins by describing the foolish ruler. So back to verse number 4. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position, uh, because composure allies great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places, while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. And so he begins in describing this foolish ruler by saying, foolish rulers may may say and do many foolish things. And the picture that he begins with is describing a proud ruler who becomes angry easily. And he takes out that anger on those that are around him. May you know that if a person has no control over themselves, then how can they have any hope of having any control over other people? Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 28 says, Like a city that is broken into... And without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Verse number 5, the preacher says that errors in leadership ultimately produce evils in society. And verse number 6, he mentions how when wrong people get into power, then everything gets turned upside down. Uh, These foolish leaders will place other fools in high places, while the qualified people they allow only to serve in lower places. Sadly, I believe this still happens today. Far too often, politicians make promises to individuals or offer positions in return for their support, and then these unqualified individuals make disastrous decisions that wreak havoc upon everyone around them. I am not thinking of any unqualified individual specifically in this moment. But we see it played out all the time. For us to truly appreciate what he's saying to us, even in verse number 7, you need to understand that in biblical times, Horses were associated with power, wealth, and authority. And so slaves generally did not ride on horseback, but they would walk either in front or behind their masters. 
But when folly sits upon the throne, everything is topsy-turvy. Slaves ride while princes walk. And so how should we respond to this? How, how, what is the proper response towards angry leadership or, or foolish leadership? And the preacher's answer, quite honestly, may very well surprise you. Look back at verse 4. He, he says, if the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position. Here we see a very powerful response to to fools, no matter who they are or what position they may hold. The biblical way to deal with fools is not by sharing in their folly. Rather, it is by living out the character of Christ. You see, the way that we deal with foolish anger It is not by repeating that foolishness with our own response of anger. No, rather the biblical way for us to respond is to remain calm. Remain calm. Walk in obedience. Pray for those that are in a position of leadership. Fulfill God's calling on your life. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distracted. And may you know that we can only do all of those things in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do that on our own. So in the Scriptures, there's many examples that that prove this to be true. The greatest example on how we're to respond to folly around us is seen in Jesus Himself. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse number 21 says, For you have been called for this special purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in His steps. Then Peter pointed out how Jesus did exactly what Ecclesiastes is telling us to do. You see, angry fools rose against our Lord. Foolish men brutalized and ultimately crucified Him. Yet Jesus refused to leave His place of service. Jesus refused to fight anger with more anger. Instead, He continued to do the work that God had called Him to do. And that's why Peter continues in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 23, and says, And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And now that same Jesus stands before us and calls for us to follow his example. May you consider, and let me ask you, who is the angry person or who is the foolish person in your life right now? And how will you respond to their anger or their foolishness? May you know that God's Word calls us to to remain calm. Don't respond to their sin with more sin. Even when you think you've been wrong, even when you think you've been disrespected, don't react by doing something foolish in response. Rather, What we're to do is to trust in the sovereignty of God. 
We're to keep moving forward in faith. We're to entrust ourselves to Him who judges righteously. And so we give the first example is that of a foolish leader. Then the next one goes to foolish workers. And now here, the preacher is going to give us six different case studies. In each case study, he teaches a principle that applies to all workers, no matter what their occupation may be. And so before we get to the overall principle, let's just journey through the case studies. Verse 8, He who digs a pit may fall into it. And a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, then there is no profit for the charmer. You understand that throughout this book, uh, the preacher has already emphasized the importance of honest labor. He's already talked about the joy that's found in working. And so his point is not to say every job has its high hazard, so what's the point of working? That's not what he's trying to do at all. Rather, what he's trying to do is to describe people who work, but who suffer. And in their suffering, their suffering is a result. It's connected to their foolishness. And so he begins with the man who dug a pit. He digs a pit, but he falls into the pit himself. Why? Well, because he lacked wisdom. He, he failed to take the proper precautions. And then there's another man. Another man who breaks through a wall. He breaks through a wall only to be bit by a serpent. Why? Well, because he was overconfident and failed to take the proper caution. Snakes often make their way of hiding into crevices and corners, and this man should have been more cautious and careful in the work that he was doing, but he wasn't, and therefore he got bit. Verse number 9 We see examples of careless workers who injured, cutting stones or splitting logs. Verse 10, picture of a a foolish worker who who tries to split logs with a dull axe. Wisdom would say, sharpen the axe first. Better to work smarter, not harder, right? And then verse number 11, we see the example of a snake charmer. I hope you understand that snakes, they have no external ears. They, they pick up sound waves primarily through the bone structures of their heads. And so more than just the music that's being played by the charmer, it's the man's disciplined action, the, the swaying and, and the staring that hold the snake's attention and keeps the serpent under control. But a foolish snake charmer, one who is fixated on trying to gain as much money as possible from as many people as possible, therefore they rush their their routine in order to finish up with one environment, get to another to try to do it again to raise more money for themselves. Well, Well, sometimes these foolish snake charmers would rush their shows 
thereby getting bit before the snake was fully charmed. So after giving many examples of these foolish workers, the common denominator that unites all of them is the sin of presumption. You see, their overconfidence, it is their arrogance that that ended up with them hurting themselves or, or, or making their work harder. So we go from foolish rulers to foolish workers, and now we, we have to consider the foolish talker. Look, look at verse 12. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. See, the comparison between the wise man and the fool is powerful. When a wise person speaks, the effective is constructive. When the foolish person speaks, well, the effect is destructive. In verse 13, it says that the beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. So a fool's words are are destructive to themselves. When a fool speaks, it often destroys their reputation, their dignity, their effectiveness, even their influence. But the damaging consequences of the words of a fool go beyond just themselves. They can also have a negative effect on other people. So the words of a fool destroy themselves and have the potential to destroy others. Their words are often used like a weapon. A weapon that's used in order to complain, to criticize to slander, to deceive, to curse, to falsely accuse, and on and on I could go, but the realization is that the words of a fool end in wicked madness, damaging and destroying themselves and others. In verse 14 it says, Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him? What will come after him? That multiplying of words, the the fool cannot control what they say. Foolish people don't know when to stop talking. They they, they talk before they think. It was Plato who once said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. Scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And continuing, he, he says in verse 15, the toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. This one's kind of funny to me. The fool is so busy talking about his future that he loses his way in the present. When he just is, is so distracted, he can't even make sense of where he's at and what he's supposed to be doing. You see, if we're wise, then we'll follow the counsel of James, who, who sounds like he himself must have been very familiar with the writing of Ecclesiastes. 
James says in James chapter 4, from 13 to verse 17, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. It's just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. And you understand that our lives should be fully submitted and surrendered unto our Lord and Savior, entrusting unto Him every detail and aspect of who we are and what we do. The Latin phrase that's, that's used in, in that writing in James chapter 4 is this phrase called Dio Valente. Dio Valente means Lord willing. If the Lord wills it, then we, we carry through and we pursue We should live our lives in full submission unto the will, the plan of God. Now we get to the final example. It's an interesting one. Because having already addressed the damaging effect of the foolish leader, uh, the preacher now returns and addresses the, the damaging effect of foolish governments. It was Mark Twain who frequently said, Suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress. But I repeat myself. Twain's remark may seem overly sarcastic, but it is in keeping with what the preacher has to say about political leadership. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad in whose princes feast in the morning. You see, mature leaders will... will sur- this has everything to do with maturity, not to do with age. Okay, Mature leaders will surround themselves with mature officers. Those who will put the good and the needs of the country first. However, if the king is immature then the people that he surrounds himself with will often reflect his immaturity and will seek to take advantage of it. Wise leaders use their authority to build up a nation. Foolish leaders use a nation to build up their authority. Verse 17 says, Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility, and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. A nation is blessed whose leaders and whose governmental officials understand their responsibilities and take those responsibilities seriously. And so the preacher condemns those who use their position of privilege for selfish pleasure. In verse 18 he says, Through uh, indolence or through laziness, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. 
And you understand that there's a huge difference between those who use an office and those who merely hold an office. Foolish people will seek to enjoy the privileges that come with their position while ignoring their responsibilities. And how quickly things begin to fall apart when lazy leaders fail to fulfill their responsibility. In verse number 19, we find the personal philosophy of foolish officials. It says, men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. You see, rather than fulfilling their responsibility that comes with their position, rather than placing the the needs of the citizens before their own, the mindset of a fool is to eat all you can, to enjoy all you can, and to get all you can. And so the preacher begins this chapter with a warning, and he ends it with another warning. This is going to be hard for some of us to hear. No matter how lazy our leaders may be. No matter how foolish our leaders are. No matter how self-absorbed or indulgent they may be. The preacher warns us against criticizing and speaking out against them. Look at verse 20. Furthermore, in your bedchamber... Most translations render this as in your thoughts. So uh, either publicly or privately, what he's saying is uh, in your bedchamber or in your thoughts, do not curse a king. And in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. For a bird of the heavens will carry the sound of the winged creature and the winged creature will make the matter known. Excuse me. Read that, and the verse sounds very much like uh, the saying, a little bird told me. We know that our words have a way of getting back uh, to those against whom we have spoken those words. And, And here, oh, we're giving very wise counsel. A counsel that we would do well to listen and obey. Personal feelings aside, we must always show respect and honor to our leaders. Whether publicly or privately, whether in one-on-one conversations or through our social media, we must always honor the one who holds an office of leadership. We have been called and commanded by the Word of God to honor Authority. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen as I read. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all 
people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. It is never right to speak cruelly against those that are in authority. It is never right to make slanderous statements about our leaders. On the opposite side, it is always right to honor those that are in authority. It is always right to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, First of all then, I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. For us, as American citizens, for us, we ought to thank God for the fact that we have a, a, a voice, that we have a right to vote in the selection of our leaders. And we ought to take that uh, privilege very seriously. In the selection of our leaders, rather than allowing the culture, rather than allowing our, our personal preferences to guide us in whom we select, we ought to allow our votes to be shaped by the Word of God and only the Word of God. And it's hard. It's hard to, to vote for the candidate that best reflects the righteousness of the Word of God. But that is our responsibility. And the way that we hold our leaders accountable is through the exercising of our right to vote. Sometimes, God judges a nation by assigning that nation wicked and immoral leaders to govern the people. Sometimes, the leaders that we get are not the leaders that we want, but are indeed the leaders that we need in order to awaken us, to, to take serious the Word of God, and to pursue God's will in our lives. We must always honor, respect those that are in positions of leadership. Never engage in slander and hostility. And we pray. We pray. We honor God through our actions and through our words. And we trust Him with the care of his people. So as we come to a conclusion, allow me real quickly to remind you on how this journey through Ecclesiastes began about six months ago. <laughs> six months we've been in this book. Amen! Hallelujah! It begins all the way back in chapter 1, verse 2 with the declaration, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then after much experimentation, after a whole lot of investigation, life under the sun, according to the preacher, was absolutely meaningless. He even said that under the sun, which means apart from God, life is monotonous, wisdom is pointless, 
wealth is empty and death is certain. That's why everything is havel. Meaningless. Like a vapor. But then, oh, but then the preacher brings God into the equation. And that makes all the difference in his understanding. Now he realizes that life was not monotonous. No, life is filled with challenging situations that, that come from God. And they come from God each in its own time and each for its own purpose. He learned that, yes, the wisdom of man is limited. Therefore, it's better for us to, to follow God's wisdom rather than to practice man's folly. Oh, he learned that wealth can, can be both enjoyed and used for the glory of God. As for death, well, death is still certain. It's true. There's no way for us to escape it. However, with God, the realization ought to motivate us to enjoy the life that God has blessed us with, all the while making the most of the opportunities that we have day in and day out to honor and to glorify Him in all that we do and in all that we say. Now we get to the beautiful conclusion Now we get to the point where he wraps it all up with his conclusion and his personal application. And for that, we wait. We'll pick up there from next week. Next week, we'll we'll have three more messages through this and we'll come to a conclusion. As we draw an end to today, allow me to pray for us. Heavenly Father, Help us to to have a great love for your word. God, help us not to to live and to pursue folly and foolishness, but God, help us and give us the strength and give us the conviction that we need in our lives so that we can fully live our lives in a way that honors you. In this time of response, Father, may you receive all the glory that you are due. Some come for prayers and others need to make decisions and commitment to honor you. God, I pray for your conviction. May it be strong and heavy. And may none of us leave this place in the same condition that we arrived. But may all of us leave here with a better understanding and a deeper appreciation of who you are and what you want from us in our lives. Be with us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.